In just a moment, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4. And if you want to turn there in your Bibles or it'll be on the screen for you to follow. Because the Pharisees were trying to create some competition between John the Baptist and Jesus, Jesus decided that he would leave Judea and head north to Galilee. Now, in between Judea to the south and Galilee to the north was a region called Samaria. Now, the shortest route, obviously, between Judea and Galilee led straight through Samaria. So, to the casual reader, the first verse we're going to look at today makes a whole lot of sense. And it's verse 4 of John chapter 4. It says, now, he had to go through Samaria. That makes sense. But there's a problem. Because the Jews avoided Samaria like the plague. If they were traveling from Galilee to Judea or vice versa, they would go around Samaria. They would not travel through it. There was a long-standing, deep-seated hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were of mixed ancestry, part Jewish, part Gentile. Their mixed ancestry made them inferior in the minds of the Jews. Uh, they were rejected. And because they were rejected by the Jews, they went out and established their own temple and their own religious services on Mount Gerizim. Now, that further inflamed the prejudice of the Jews, that the Samaritans would have the gall to go out and start their own worship. In fact, so intense was the dislike of the Jews toward the Samaritans that the Pharisees actually prayed that the Samaritans would not be raised in the resurrection. Now, obviously, if the hatred is that deep, they probably didn't speak to one another either. No self-respecting Jew would speak to a Samaritan. But Jesus is different. And here's what we read in John 4, beginning in verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Keep in mind that no righteous Jew would ever speak to an unfamiliar woman, period. Much less a Samaritan woman. Much less a Samaritan woman with whom you find yourself alone. It just wouldn't happen. A righteous Jew would never be caught doing that. But again, Jesus is different and what happens is, after he initiates this conversation with the woman, he continues and, and he says to her, if you really knew to whom you were speaking, you would ask me for living water. The woman doesn't get it. And her reply to Jesus is, well, wait a minute, you don't even have a bucket. How could you draw water? And then she says, anyway, are, are you greater than our father Jacob? 
Well, Jesus responds by saying, whoever drinks of the water from this well, from Jacob's well, will be thirsty again. But he says that whoever drinks from the water that he gives will never be thirsty again. This living water that Jesus is talking about quenches a spiritual thirst. In fact, the one who receives this water that is only available from Jesus will have eternal life-giving water given to them. And they will never thirst spiritually again. She misses the point. She misses the point again, and she replies, okay, so give me this water. But then she adds, give me this water so I don't have to come here anymore and draw water. She misses the point again. And Jesus' response, though, to her saying, well, give me this water, is really interesting. He says to her in in verse 16 of John chapter 4, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. What Jesus says startles the woman. It it startles her because Jesus would know her past and, and her present. So what she does is when she's confronted with with her lifestyle, she really just kind of tries to to change the subject. And she says in verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus goes on to explain to her that there's a time coming when people will worship at neither place. That God is looking for a special kind of worshiper. And he says in verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. At this point, his disciples return. And his disciples are shocked, to say the least, that Jesus is carrying on this conversation with a Samaritan woman. Well, anyway, in verse 28, the woman leaves, and it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Just like all the stories we've looked at during our series, What Causes You to Believe, there's a lot here. There's a lot of wonderful stuff in this passage, in this encounter of Jesus with a Samaritan woman. And I don't want you to think I'm just kind of casually passing over it because it's not important. It is very important, and it's great stuff. And I want to encourage you, though, to take time on your own, maybe to dig in here and find out all of the little nuggets that God has for you. But also, just like the past two weeks, I I want to narrow our focus down a little bit. I want to narrow it down to see if there's anyone in this story that actually believes. And if there is someone in this story that actually believes, what causes them to believe? And see how it may help us. So here's a question. 
Did the woman at the well believe? Did she believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be? Well, you might think, well, she had enough opportunity. I mean, she came face to face with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. She had a conversation with him. He shared information with her. She had a personal encounter. Okay. A lot of people have personal encounters. Well, then, then, it's, then you think, well, okay, but, but he confronted her with, with her sin, and, and she admitted it. Well, sort of. She just answered a question honestly, but she really didn't admit to a whole lot. Then she hurries back to the town. And you may say, well, I bet she's hurrying back because she's got great news to share. Well, maybe she does. But at the same time, maybe she's just spooked off because the disciples showed up. And then she, she tells the people, she says, or asks them actually, she says, could this be the Messiah? But she asks it and the sentence is structured in such a way where she assumes a negative answer. In other words, this couldn't be the Messiah, could it? Is the way she asks the question. Now, although commentators and pastors and a whole bunch of people who are smarter than I am have come to the conclusion that by this experience, this experience alone, and at this point where she leaves Jesus, they have made the argument that she leaves that well a believer in Jesus Christ. It's possible. I just don't see the evidence. It's possible, but I don't see it. Now, maybe later, as we'll see, things change. But right here, I, I, I don't see that she left a believer. Why? Well, there are a couple of things. And I, and I want to talk about those today. Because maybe a couple of the things that she got hung up on are, are things that maybe you're hung up on a little bit. I think one of the things that happens to this lady is she has pretty much made her faith a place-centered and a time-centered thing. In other words, her faith to her was just following the traditions of her forefathers, that you worshipped at a certain place at a certain time. I was talking with a guy the other day, and he, he knew what I did, and during the course of the conversation, he said, well, you know, I was, I was raised Baptist. But he, he went on to explain that, that when he was a child, that his grandmother would make him get up and go to church with her. She happened to go to a Baptist church. So the fact that his grandmother made him go to church with her, he didn't see as a bad thing. I mean, he saw that there was value in the fact that, that she made him go to church. But as soon as he was old enough, he quit. But even though he saw value, even though he had an opportunity to see Jesus and to hear about Jesus, that never made a lasting impact in his life. He never truly believed. He never truly made a commitment even though he was there all the time. To him, faith was just following the tradition of his grandmother, but it never made a lasting impact 
in his life. Maybe that's you. Maybe you come from that background where your parents or grandparents or an aunt or an uncle or someone made you get up and go to church. And and you see that even today as something of value. But it really never changed your life. If that is you, then maybe it's time that we kind of get over this time and place thing that just just because I'm in a building at a certain time is going to change me. Certainly you can meet Christ here, but just that event is not going to change you. And Maybe it's time that, that we realize that in order to really change and be changed, we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or maybe for the woman, maybe she was willing to acknowledge her sin, but she wasn't willing to face her sin. Now, she doesn't say this, but kind of the gist I get from it is, is she's kind of like, well, yeah, I, I, I've, I've kind of lived the wrong kind of life. I mean, she implies to Jesus that she knows the life she's lived and the life she's living is not the kind that God wants. She, she acknowledges that. But instead of facing it and dealing with it, she tries to change the subject. Maybe that's you. Maybe when, when you're confronted with, with sin in your life, or maybe that you're living in a way that, that's not pleasing to God, maybe when you are confronted with that, maybe it's just easier for you instead of to face it and deal with it to just kind of divert the, the, the subject. Like, well, yeah, I know that, but, but, you know, I try to come to church as often as I can. I mean, that sounds good, but what you've done is you've kind of skirted the issue. You haven't dealt with the sin. You might have realized it. You might have even said, yeah, I know that's true. But you sort of skirted the issue, changed the subject, and never really dealt with it in your life. If that's you, and Jesus keeps after you, and he still will, but there's an anonymous quote that I read that says, only when we willingly face the truth about ourselves can he fully reveal the truth about himself. Well, whether or not the woman left that well and that encounter with Jesus as a believer, there is something we know for a fact, is that when she went and told the men of the town, John leaves no doubt that they became believers. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. And find out what causes them to believe. But before we get there, I want us to look at something. I'm going to read verses 28 through 30. We've read them already. But I'm going to read them from a different translation that I think captures something that's very important here. It says, Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the men... Now, the New International Version that we read before said people. Anyway, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. Although that particular word can be translated people, 
Some scholars argue that the more accurate translation and the one that really grasps the meaning of what this verse means translates it men. Why did she tell the men? Well, one of the things is she knew where to go in town to find the men. And quite possibly, these men and their story was also part of her story and her situation. So when she goes to them, the men that she's probably had some kind of relationship with, and says to them, come and see, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did, that report is going to get their attention. In fact, she might have even gone on, though the scripture doesn't record it, to say, this man knows significant facts about me that relate to you guys, if you know what I mean. And I have a suspicion that this guy might know some more detail. That would get the attention of the men of the town. Now, whether she herself believed, God certainly used her to bring others. Scripture says that the men came out to see what this was about. Now, whether they came out of curiosity, whether they came out of guilt, whether they came out of fear of being found out, whether they came just to find out how much more Jesus really knew about their relationship with this woman. The fact is that they came out and John leaves no doubt as to whether or not they believed. Verse 39 of John chapter 4 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Guilt, curiosity, fear, whatever. That's what got them there, but did that really cause them to believe? Is that what causes them to believe? Uh, they maybe were confronted with their sin, just like the, the woman, but is that what causes them to believe? I'll tell you what I think causes them to believe. Is that they saw this whole, he told me everything I ever did issue from a different perspective. I think what causes them to believe is something that all of us who are believers know. And something that Jesus desperately wants all of us to know. And that key point is that what causes them to believe is not that Jesus told them everything they ever did, but that he loved them in spite of everything they ever did. 
The idea that they could come to someone who knew everything about them, regardless of what drew them there, that they could come to this man and not just hear a recitation of their sins, but rather find in this man someone who knew everything about them but still loved them, and that they could come to him and that they could offer their their confession of their sin. They could repent of their sin. They could find in this person who they really believed was the Savior of the world, someone who would forgive them and give to them this living water, this eternal life. That they could come regardless of their past or of their present and they could unload the guilt and the sin that they had carried around for so long in this fear of being found out. They could lay it down in front of someone who had the power to forgive them. And to transform them into something new. And that wonderful, life-changing experience causes them to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. But it goes on and it says that that they didn't just come out to Jesus. But they invited him to come back with them. And that Jesus actually was invited into their city. He was invited into their homes. He was invited into their hearts as their Savior. And Jesus actually came back with them and stayed two days. Imagine the impact of that. Not only is here someone who knows everything about me and loves me. Not only is here someone who can forgive my sins, but here is someone, a Jew, who will come and not just speak to Samaritans, but come and stay in our cities and in our homes. Why? Because we're no longer outcasts. We are now part of the family, forgiven and restored. Who knows? Maybe these Samaritans, these hated, outcast, despised, considered unworthy. These people that the Pharisees prayed wouldn't even rise at the resurrection. Perhaps these people were some of the first ones to know the wonderful news that Paul actually writes about years later to the Ephesians. When he says in Ephesians 2, remember That at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It can happen to you as well. And Christmas time is a great time. Not just because the Savior of the world came, but because He came to dwell with us. He knew everything about us, but He came anyway. He knew everything about us, but He still died on the cross. He knew everything about us, but he still rose from the dead that we might have the hope of eternal life. He knew everything about us, but he loved anyway. 
And he made it possible for us to become part of his family. Those of us who were far away. Those of us who were dead in our sins. Those of us who were outcasts. He's made it possible. All we have to do is to come to him. Quit skirting this sin issue and deal with it. Face it. Come to him and confess. He'll forgive. Not only will he forgive, but he will transform you and make you new. And then you will become a part of his family. Man, if you've not done that, do it today. Let's pray.